We would like to advise that the following program may contain real news, occasional philosophy, and ideas that may offend some listeners. So there is no banter today. This is really, really serious. It is. We wanted to pick up on an episode we did on Corona Business Insights, looking at influencers. When we discussed how COVID-19 impacted on influencers, we got to the point where people on Taobao were selling rocket launches for $6 million. And we opened the lid to this weird and wonderful box of social influencers in China. And we said, we really need to look into this a bit more. And in particular, the platform Xiao Hongshu, also known as Little Red Book or Red in English, that seemingly has hundreds of millions of subscribers. It's one of the things that a lot of Gen Z and millennials spend half their day on, and we had never even heard about it. So we decided to look into this and talk about social commerce in China, in particular, Xiao Hong Shu, and we looked for news stories. And lo and behold, in the last seven days on Google, in English, there were no news stories on this. And let's make it clear, this platform has as many users as Amazon, around 300 million active users. And so it is really a big deal in China. It is a platform that is at the forefront of new ways of consuming, selling, doing all kinds of things. And that's really the point here. So we decided to go back to the news story that we had on the Corona Business Insights episode from the South China Morning Post titled how see now, buy now culture and superior social media apps put Chinese influencers way ahead of those in the West. And we decided to have a look at the platform itself. Unfortunately, it was all in Chinese which turned out to be a very short-lived affair. So while the app itself has an English translation, all the content is in Chinese. So all we could do is look at some photos. So clearly we needed help. Here I come to your rescue. <laughs> <laughs> so today on the podcast, we welcome Kishi. Hello. So Kishi Pan has been a lecturer with the University of Sydney Business School for the past five years. And of course, she's also our China analyst in Sydney Business Insights. And it turns out that Kishi lives her life, at least partly, on Zhao Hongshu. Indeed, it's my guilty pleasure. So today, a three-way conversation around social commerce apps, Red, Zhao Hongshu, in particular with... Well, with Kishi Pan. Welcome, Kishi. Thank you. Okay, let's do it. This is The Future This Week from Sydney Business Insights. I'm Sandra Peter. And I'm Kairima. Every week we sit down to rethink and unlearn trends in technology and business. We discuss the news of the week, question the obvious, explore the weird and the wonderful and things that change the world. So Kishi, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So in order to talk about social commerce, we need to untangle a little bit what's happening in the space of social media apps and e-commerce apps. And it's a bit easier if we start with the ones that we use here. So we'll compare commerce and social media in the West with platforms in the East. And we will ultimately see that that comparison breaks down. And that will also guide the discussion going forward, why things in China have emerged in a way that doesn't really compare to the West. And we'll try to have a look at what can the West learn from Chinese companies. We know a lot about the weaknesses or maybe the way in which we see some Chinese companies copying practices in the West. But the story is actually quite different and there is quite a bit to be learned 
from an entire ecosystem that is actually much more mature. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So what would be some of the social media and e-commerce apps that we use in the West? Kai, what do you use? So obviously, you know, if I want to buy something, go to Amazon, go to eBay. These would be large platforms where you buy things. In terms of social media, obviously, we've got Facebook, we've got Instagram. There's other content platforms like Pinterest, YouTube. Those would be your big platforms that you would use, and they offer distinct experiences. So one is for content, one is for purchasing stuff, one is for social, and the linkages between them are fairly lightweight. Kishi, you've been living in Australia for many years now. You've lived in Europe before that. What platforms do you use? Well, I use every platform that Kai has just mentioned and a few more. I'm looking at my phone right now. I have, um, besides Amazon, eBay, of course, uh, Taobao. I have Tmall. I have also Shenyu, which is a spin-off by Taobao that you sell and buy secondhand goods. So these are big commerce platforms in China where you would go when you really want to purchase something, right? Indeed, yes, with a clear goal in mind. So Taobao, Tmall, something like AliExpress, they would all be kind of like Amazon and eBay. Kind of. And we'll come back to that. But what other Chinese apps do you use? I have also social media apps. WeChat is probably the one that consumes most of the battery in my phone, which I spend a lot of time on talking to my family and friends back home in China. And we've talked about WeChat before on the podcast, just recently in the context of the Trump administration wanting to ban Chinese apps. WeChat plays a big part in connecting overseas Chinese people with their homeland. So quite obviously, really important. And we'll include the links in the show notes. We'll also include another episode in which we spent quite a bit of time with our colleague Barney Tan going into what WeChat is, because you don't just talk to your parents on it, right? No, no. I also stay linked to my friends here who uses WeChat, as we know that in Sydney, Australia, we have a huge Chinese community. So I have a lot of friends who I see frequently here in Sydney who also has a WeChat account. Some of the businesses, restaurants, beauty clinic that I go to, they have their WeChat account. I use WeChat also to book an appointment with them, for example. And of course, you would be using WeChat even more intensely if you were living in China because you can do just about anything on that app, right? Definitely, yes. I actually forgot to mention WeChat Pay. As you may know, many of the Australian merchants, the stores here, accept payments via WeChat or Alipay. Because of the large influx of Chinese tourists, not this year, but hopefully next year again. Hopefully next year, yes. So WeChat is not just a chat application, but it has frictionless mobile payments. It allows you to publish content. It allows you to advertise online, to conduct business online, but also if you were in China to pay your fines or access school records or read menus at restaurants or pay at restaurants or book things online. So we know that there are some distinct Chinese social media platforms. I know of Weibo, for example, or Douyin, which is the equivalent to TikTok. Do you use any of those, Kishi? Yes, I spend a lot of time on Weibo. This is also because of my job with Sydney Business Insights. I'm a China analyst at SBI, so one of the things I do do on a daily basis is to look out for trending hot topic about China business tech. So Weibo, I know in the West, you tend to describe it as the Chinese version of Twitter. Uh, 
A little bit, kind of. But on Weibo, you can find what's hot, what's going on, the trending hashtags, what are the Chinese netizens, the Chinese people talking, discussing about. So I use that on a daily basis as well, just to stay in the loop. Personally, I don't use Douyin because it can be a time warp. So that's the Chinese version of TikTok. Well, actually, to be fair, TikTok is the Western version of Douyin. Correct. Yes, I prefer the second description、yes. as well. <laughs> so I personally don't use Douyin. My dad uses Douyin a lot, and he shares a lot of really funny, quirky videos with me on a daily basis. But then there's this one app that we got really interested in, and that's Xiao Hongzhu. Yes, I got really interested in it as well, in the sense that I do interact with it frequently and oftentimes for a long time. What's a long time?、Um, I prefer not to say, but let's say it's you know around a good chunk of a couple of hours, perhaps. So we measure it in hours, not minutes. <laughs> <laughs> So I think it's important to unpack a bit what it is because again in the West we try to use what we know and we say well it's Amazon meets Pinterest meets Instagram but it is the biggest social e-commerce network so Kishi what is it what do you do on it? Well the time when I really found Red or Xiao Hongshu's value to me was two three years ago I was trying to look for a makeup product that suits my skin type. I asked around my friends. They all had different experiences. I couldn't quite consolidate. It was only two or three opinions. So I asked them, "Well, where should be a place where I look for more or more extensive opinions of customer interactions with products?" And they referred me to Red Xiao Hongshu. I downloaded it. Wow! So I had a clear idea in my mind that I want to purchase makeup foundation. I went on Xiao Hongshu, type in. Foundation, and it gave me list of options, gave me rankings, gave me based on skin type people's recommendations. Not only did it give me pictures of what that product looks like once applied, it also has extensive paragraphs of genuine, authentic users' experience with the product. So this is not just like an Instagram experience where I see a pretty picture of Kim Kardashian using the foundation, but just extensive written text about people using it. Exactly, and you actually stay and look through the whole text as opposed to quickly scrolling it away. I saw an article where it was described almost as consumer science, where people actually look at the ingredients and they compare ingredients across products. So they really go very deep into what these products are made of. Yes, definitely. So one of the accounts I do follow is actually a scientist that breaks down similar products and does pros and cons comparisons in terms of ingredients, whether it's suited for pregnant women or not, skin types, all kinds of information that you find in it, and it. Tend to do a whole series of content like this based on requirements by their followers. But it's not just products, right? Say we would want to go for lunch after this recording. You could find good places on Red. Definitely, Red has a very powerful location-based algorithm that can help me to easily search for experiences or stores nearby my location. Say, for example, you want to go for a steak. I then go to my little Red book. And then find nearby, and then search for steak. You then find users who most likely, in very recent times, had dined in a steak restaurant nearby Redfern area, with pictures, with their descriptions of their evaluations of their interactions with the restaurant, with the booking process, with the waiters and the waitresses. 
really authentic experience from people who truly experience the restaurant the way you're about to. So this feels very different to Yelp would feel where you just have a restaurant listing with a list of reviews. You actually go the other way, right? You find the reviews and then the restaurant from there. Definitely, yes. You start the process, you start the interest in a certain experience or product online, and then you have to take that offline to complete that process. For me personally, if I write a review on Yelp or on Google, it feels laborsome. It's a laborsome process to write a review because it's not fun for me. But however, if I write about my experience in a certain restaurant or in a certain store on Red, it's a completely different experience. I make it interactive and people review my reviews by providing their experiences in the said restaurant. So this really sounds like you're taking the whole thing on its head. In Western platforms, you would start with the product or you start with the restaurant and then you tuck a little bit of user-generated content, the social, on top of that. This sounds to me like a completely social experience that revolves around products where the social aspect comes first. And it's about my experience first, not about the restaurant. Indeed. And this has some really, really interesting implications because then if it is about my experience, it can be about my experience of anything, not just what the platform gives me, whether that's restaurants or beauty parlors, or it can be anything that I am experiencing in my life. So yes, indeed. It's not just about the fun and lighthearted, beautiful stuff. It's also about quite serious, right? So my family is in China, and this has been the longest time since I last saw them. It was over 10 months ago. So trying to go home, trying to go to China in the midst of a pandemic can be quite challenging, as many of you guys might know. So recently, the Chinese government has placed a requirement on travelers departing from Australia into China, having to obtain a negative COVID test result prior to departure, 72 hours prior to departure, to be specific. Now, this 72 hours can be very vaguely interpreted, so I wasn't quite sure. Was it 72 hours before departure that I should take the test, or was it 72 hours on which I should get the result of the test? I went on Xiaohongshu, and... Unsurprisingly, I found dozens and dozens of people who were in the same situation and shared their experiences of obtaining a report and submitting that to the Chinese consulate here, gaining travel permission and successfully traveled back to Shanghai or Guangzhou and now in hotel quarantine. Those are what I see as authentic experiences that I can confidently rely on when it becomes my turn to do it. So collective sense-making of regulation that can often be vague and that is updated in real time by a large collective of people using or experiencing the same process. So this is really interesting. When I hear the term social commerce, I immediately think commerce that is somewhat social. But here, really, the social is what leads and then commerce comes off the back of that. So you really read the word very differently. And Kishi, I'm really interested to know about this experience I read about. I read about these words, a seed, grow, weed, as describing a typical Jean Joux experience. You need to explain that to me. 
I think just going off on what you were talking about, commerce is a fun experience, but only at the moment of purchasing. But I think adding the social element to it for me prolongs that fun process. Social is fun. Social e-commerce is a brilliant way for me to combine the fun part of interacting with other users and spending that money, right? That moment of swiping your credit card or confirming that payment on Alibaba. And so the weed term you were talking about has been popular in China for. Quite a number of years. So remember when I talked about that makeup foundation, right? I may have set my eyes on a specific brand, but I wasn't quite sure. Going on Xiao Hongshu, seeing different people sharing the experience of using that specific product, is a process of what we call, or what Chinese netizens call, planting a seed. It's like planting a seed of grass in your head. That idea then, of course, grows and blossoms. As we know, wheat does. So, planting a seed, grow a seed, and eventually, maybe you actually really tried or used that product. You found, oh well, it doesn't really meet my high expectations for it. Hence, I unplug it from my head. Or I found maybe it's beyond what my budget can afford. I have to give up that idea for very real reasons. And that's also another way of unplugging the idea from your head. So what I hear you say is that you really make this discovery process a social, fun, experiential research process, and that's really what Little Red Book Xiaohongzhu is all about. Yes, absolutely. And I think seeing the experience from someone else who is also a consumer is much more enticing than seeing just an advertisement from the merchant themselves. So it's not just about your own experience. You follow other people's experience. You comment on that. So it's all really intertwined. Yes, it's a very tight and loyal community that I would describe. So this really, really doesn't sound like Amazon meets Pinterest meets Instagram. But before we go into a bit more detail into how these are not just surface differences and why we find it really difficult to wrap our heads around this completely different ecosystem that exists in China, we should say a few more words around how Red started because it wasn't always this experience. It was initially actually something quite different. Yes. So. Little Red Book or Xiao Hongshu was founded in 2013 by Ma Wenchao and Chu Fang. Both are graduates of Stanford University. So they initially intended to set up a community for Chinese people or Chinese tourists. Back then, many international brands didn't have as much presence the way that they do now in China. So the platform was initially intended as a great way to introduce this international brands and overseas shopping experience to Chinese consumers in China. And this then grew to something else. So initially, and still now, the majority of the users on Xiaohongshu are upper middle class women, aged between eighteen to thirty-five, highly educated, many of them, and living in tier one, tier two cities in China. This is incredibly lucrative a market for international fashion and beauty brands. And so this is how it started out, right? So the platform would connect Chinese customers to overseas people that would then ship the brands. The platform would then create its own e-commerce offering for those brands and stock them to speed up the purchasing process. But from there, it has evolved into something very different now, and it has Chinese brands. It's got everything on it, right? 
Indeed, as you said. So unlike other e-commerce platforms, Xiaohongshu started out as a community, right? At the beginning, they were sharing overseas shopping experience, beauty, makeup, and personal care. But now you're seeing information sharing around sports, around dieting, fitness, travel, home, hotels, and the restaurants appearing on Xiaohongshu, and the community has become bigger and bigger. And this is something very difficult to replicate. But the interesting thing I find is that. While you start with this genuine, authentic social experience around products, commerce is only ever a click away, right? You don't actually have to necessarily leave and go other places. Even though living here in Sydney, a lot of the actual purchases might happen in store. Commerce is tightly integrated with the platform, right? Yes, as a registered brand, you can certainly set up your own store on Xiaohongshu. And Xiaohongshu also have the live streaming function, which brings us to KOL, key opinion leaders, or back to the influencers that we started out with. And interestingly, while on many social media platforms, it is all about the KOL, the opinion leaders, Xiaohongshu has surfaced a different concept, the KOC. What's that about? So, key opinion customers. In my personal understanding, comparing to KOL, KOC can be something very personal and very specific to users themselves. KOL, key opinion leaders, can be an influencer by any standard, but a KOC might be a KOC only to me because he or she is promoting a product that I'm really interested in. And so it really blurs the boundary between people who make their living from being an influencer. To everyday customers becoming small-scale influencers, and that is how you end up today with a company with 300 million users at any time with 100 million active users valued at six billion dollars. So one of the few companies that both Alibaba and Tencent invested in at the same time. So just to put this into context, this would be like Amazon and Facebook or Google co-investing in a startup. So Xiaohongshu Little Red Book is truly a very different experience, a very different platform that doesn't really have a true equivalent in the West. And so we want to look more broadly beneath the surface, and not just look at the different user experience, but look at how we actually talk about those differences between e-commerce, social commerce in the West and the East, how it has evolved, and what this actually means for our understanding of those differences. And there's a couple of points we need to make today. And first is exactly that: point out that we actually do find it very difficult to talk about what is going on in this ecosystem in China because we do try to apply the categories that we use to understand the internet in the West to the Chinese experience. It's like Instagram, or it's like Pinterest meets Amazon. And the first such thing is the term internet itself. So we've talked about this on the podcast previously. This fragmentation, where the online experience in places like India and China is now very different to what it is in the West. For example, in the West, the internet emerged from the World Wide Web, which is essentially the web browser, and other experiences like mobile and apps on the back of that came later. But the web browser is still, in many ways, the go-to place to consume the internet. Now, Kishi, what's the significance of the web browser in China? I would say currently it's next to none. The closest we would get to a web browser is when I open my app of Baidu and try to find out about something. But as we know, Baidu is 
by no means the ultimate content aggregator the way that Google is. So what then would you do when you want to find information? Well, you'd have to be more specific about information. Say, if I want to find out about makeup, beauty, fashion brands, I'm likely going to Xiaohongshu. If I'm looking for what movie I should watch with my friends tonight, I'm probably going to Douban to look for movie recommendations. If I'm looking for a specific product, I know what I'm going to buy. I'm going to Taobao or Tmall. If I simply want to talk to my parents, I'm going to WeChat. Well, if I want to look for what is trending in China in general in any field, I'm going to Weibo. What strikes me is that we would Google everything in the first instance. So we go to a corporation. In many instances, your search experience is a very social one. You are looking for recommendations from other people. Yes, absolutely. It's much more social. Which points to one of the other reasons we find it difficult to understand what's going on in that. The way we consume the internet here versus how the internet is consumed in China is very, very different. Take streaming sales, for instance. So we previously talked about on the podcast where Taobao has pushed streaming into rural communities where farmers are selling apples, oranges, potatoes via streaming experiences. So unfortunately, I can't speak to that as I haven't bought oranges or potatoes online. Maybe in the future in China, but there is a vintage store that I do constantly frequent on Xiaohongshu that is based in Shanghai, and they diligently every night do live streaming and sell their products through their three-hour live streaming session. So how this happens is basically they line up a list of products where audience or consumers can click into and then suggest an item for the key opinion leaders or the key opinion consumers to explain through. As a consumer, you can purchase that product there and then in the middle of a streaming session. Payments done, and the product is shipped to you right when the streaming finishes. So this is really interesting. It's almost like you're substituting the movie that you would watch with watching this live stream, where you have the social aspect integrated with the commerce as a seamless experience. So they're really all meshed up into one experience, right? And it's of course not just Xiaohongshu. It's not just streaming sales. It's many different ways of combining entertainment with advertising, with shopping, with serendipitous discovery. We've seen, for instance, Taobao create. A series of webisodes, a food-focused series called One Thousand and One Nights, which was a smash hit, which sold over half a million dumplings in just over a few hours. So, what we're talking about is fully integrated social commerce entertainment experiences that really defy any categories that we have in the West. And so, if we try to make sense of the Chinese internet experience with our categories, this is. The Chinese something, you know, Amazon, eBay, Google, what have you not. We're really missing what is unique, what is different, what is special about the way in which these platforms have emerged in China, and that presents a problem. In that, quite often we end up noticing weaknesses that some of these companies might have. We point to things like Baidu is not as good as Google, but then we heard it's really not important because the entire experience is different. Or discussing issues of censorship or of copying certain characteristics from Western companies, but we miss out entirely on what these companies do uniquely, differently, and we miss out on the strengths that these companies might have. 
because it doesn't occur to us to ask these questions when we compare Little Red Book with Pinterest, for example, or with Amazon or with Instagram, we might focus on certain of its features, but we completely miss how the lifestyle of using this in the daily life of Chinese consumers has turned this into something that really doesn't have an equivalent in the West. And we've consistently done this over the last few years. Take email, for example, and we'll put a link in the show notes to an episode where we discuss how come there's no email in China. In the West, we cannot conceive of not having an email address or pretty much not checking it every hour or so. But in the West, the internet has emerged on the computer, with the web browser, with email. In the Chinese context, the internet emerged as mobile first. So communication practices and the apps around it are very different. Yeah. So Kishi, is email a common way of communicating in Chinese workplaces? Well, email is there, but it's definitely not the only or not even the main means of communication for most of the companies. For example, a friend of mine is a CEO in a company in China. He doesn't use emails as management, but people in the company do communicate with each other using emails, but certainly not the main means of communication. So what would they use on a normal day-to-day -day basis if we wanted to talk with other people on our team? As far as I know, most commonly WeChat or DingTalk. So we see these sometimes subtle, sometimes stark differences across all of the various categories that we would use in the West. But it doesn't end there. We also tend to miss the ways in which innovation happens in the Eastern context. So with a Western perspective, we often tend to see these apps as copying WhatsApp or a combination of Google, Facebook and Amazon and WhatsApp rather than considering them on their own terms, seeing that Tencent created WeChat and cannibalized its own messaging app, QQ. Yeah, it didn't quite copy from WhatsApp. It had the technology, the knowledge of a chat app in-house. And let's not forget that what started as a chat app has morphed into really this operating system for living your life because WeChat does just about everything these days. I would describe WeChat as just as important as a smartphone in your hand if you're in China. To share with you a little story, I was traveling from Chengdu to Zhou Jiago. It's about a nine-hour drive and through mountainous range. Our car made a stop and my friend wanted to buy mandarins from an old gentleman who was selling them on the street side. He couldn't even speak the standard Putonghua, the standard Mandarin. But he had a QR code next to his oranges. All my friend needed to do, they didn't even have to communicate or understand each other. My friend picked up a few oranges, scanned the QR code, asked the man to type in the number. And that's it. It was done. So WeChat is not just everything, but it's everything to everyone. It's inclusive to a point that no Western app has managed to achieve at this point. It can bring in disadvantaged communities, people who don't even need to be literate to be able to use it. When we were over in China, we saw street performers, buskers using it to collect money. So classing it as just a chat app or... Just an app really misses the point of how important, how integrated it is into many of the life practices in China. And this points to the fact that in many ways, the Chinese ecosystem is a much more mature one that now tends to be leading rather than following and copying. And we're already seeing copies of Chinese practices or Chinese apps in the West. The easiest example might be TikTok, which is a version of Douyin. 
And the interest that Walmart has shown, for example, in purchasing TikTok because they're interested in learning from and importing some of the unique social commerce practices that have emerged in China. And mind you, TikTok being just a tiny fraction of these practices, Little Red Book goes far beyond that when it comes to social commerce experience. And it also points to how important understanding context and really understanding how these apps function in China is. Because many of these attempts to copy things that are quite successful, like indeed Red have failed quite dismally in a Western context. Remember Amazon Spark? Uh, Amazon Spark, I've heard of it, but never seen it. It was meant to be something similar to Red, launched about three years ago with social feed similar to Instagram, where people could list and review products and leading them back to Amazon, but it failed dismally. Which goes to show that just copying features, just copying the technological aspects of these apps will not be enough to really ignite the kind of lifestyle practices that we see in China. So what we need is a much more genuine engagement with these different cultural practices that are intertwined with technology to learn from that and then maybe grow equivalents in the West that do not just copy, but actually find a similar experience that fits the cultural context over here. And this could provide real business advantages in places like Australia. We've seen, for instance, many farmers during the COVID pandemic going on their own, selling their products online via their website. Well, in China, live streaming, where many farmers sell their products and services, is worth about $130 billion. In Australia, there is really no platform for people to engage in similar activities. So the point here really is that we must proactively try to understand these differences in experience bottom up by genuinely engaging with what it's like to actually be immersed in the practices that these Chinese apps create. We can't just look at them in terms of our categories or our experiences. And we must stress how difficult this is. And this is one of the reasons we're doing episodes like this one, because we, for instance, could not wrap our heads around Sha Hongshu or Red on our own. We needed people like Kishi to help us make sense of it. And this is where we want to thank you, Kishi, for coming onto the podcast and sharing with us your experience and how you use and engage with Zhao Shu. Thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun. And I think it's quite important for people to talk to others like me who are active users of these platforms, of these services, despite not being in China. Which is a very good point you're making, Kishi, because that is one of the ways we can do this by engaging with users who are using these apps. In Australia, they are using them as an interface to Australian and local businesses in Sydney. So we'll be using Little Red Book, Xia Hongshu, to decide where we go for lunch next. And that really is all we have time for today. Thanks, Kishi. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Kishi. Thanks, everyone. If you like the episode, as always, go and leave us a review or tell a friend about it. Maybe even on Red. Even on Red. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. See you next week. On The Future This Week. 
Sandra Peter is the Director of Sydney Business Insights. Kai Reema is Professor of Information Technology and Organisation here at the University of Sydney Business School. With us every week is our sound editor Megan Wedge. And our theme music was played live on the set of Garden Hoses by Lindsay Pollock. You can subscribe to The Future This Week wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any weird and wonderful topics for us, send them to sbi at sydney.edu.au. Xiao Hong Shu. Yeah, that's Xiao good. Xiao Hong Shu. Xiao Hong Shu. Xiao Hong Shu. Xiao Hong Shu. You can be more, you can relax. Xiao Hong Shu. 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 Your turn. Are you recording this? <laughs>